0: Hey, everybody, and welcome back to From Complex to Queen's Home on Apple Sources Minor League Podcast. I am Steve Seiper, and I'm joined this week by Lucas Vlahos and Thomas Henderson. How are you guys doing today? Good. How are you? Can't complain.
1: Oh, we can always find something to complain about, Steve.
0: (laughs) That's true. Just you wait. All right, so promote extend trade for this week. And I'm not a particularly big football fan, so I didn't know this, but maybe you guys do. But in 1943, because of World War II, the NFL combined the Philadelphia Eagles and the Pittsburgh Steelers. Oh, the Eagles, one- baby. Y- yes, the Steelers. That happened on today's date in 1943. So, uh, in that vein, what... Teams? What combined teams are we going to promote, extend, or trade? Um, first, we have the Mets and the Yankees, and then the Mankees. Jesus Christ. <laughs> we have the Dodgers and the Angels, the Dodgels, and the Cubs and the White Sox, the White Subs.
1: The White Suburbans? Great. Wonderful. Perfect or, name, name. Or their
2: logo's a, a sandwich that's white. Mm-hmm. Right, right.
0: A lot of mayonnaise.
1: I thought we just called the white subs the Braves.
0: Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs>
1: um, all of these are incredibly cursed, Steve. Hope you know The
0: Mankeys
2: have a good Pokemon crossover potential, though. They yes, I do. I yeah. do where they could have a Mankey as a logo.
1: I feel like that also channels the energy we would expect from combining the Mets and Yankees. You just get a screaming, furry, <laughs> monkey thing that likes to punch people. Like, very Long Island energy there.
2: Yeah, so I'm actually down with the monkeys More so than I would think. Uh,
1: yeah. I got. Yeah, I think I, I'm there with you, and I'll uh, promote the white subs because... It's funny. And then I just have the Dodgers and Angels one is just so bland. How do they Angels- it's literally
2: putting it's just putting Otani and Trout on the on the Dodgers, which I yeah. mean like o- he might be a Dodger anyway, so then it's really boring.
1: Zach Neto would be their best shortstop. That's true. I will not I will not stand for Zach Neto's slander in this on this podcast, but
0: what would the salary of the Dodgers be? Uh, all right. Without
1: guessing, I'll pull up Spotrack. What's everyone's guess? Uh, Price is right rules, closest without going over.
0: I'm gonna say four twenty-five. Twenty-five. I'll say four
2: sixty.
1: Four sixty. Okay. I'm gonna go four. I am going to say 425 25 i will say 460 460 okay i am going to go for... i do not want to be a dick because I'm going last. I'll say four. I'll say four forty. All right. Let me pull up. Nope, that's the NFL. That's not what I want. <laughs> Long sport. All right, uh, here we go. The Dodgers are at 228. I'm going to leave off everything after that because I don't care. The Angels are at 216. That comes out to 444. Oh, nice. $444 million. Only $100 million more than the Mets are paying in order to be a below 500 team.
0: <laughs> not bad.
1: How have the Angels... I mean, not that this is breaking any new ground and this conversation has been had by literally every baseball podcast ever. But how have the do- uh, the, the angels managed to have uh, the two greatest players of the 21st century, one of whom is arguably the best player of all time. And the other of whom is probably somewhere in the top 10. And I don't think that's controversial and still managed to be just the most bland, Boring as fuck, team possible.
0: Two of the best players, and well, three technically. Pujols, who wasn't in his prime. All right, but, well, Pujols. Oh, I coaches.
2: thought we were Zach Neto posting. I was like, yeah, look, I, I like him, but uh, I, I like, like Zach Neto stupid. too. Nice. <laughs> um, yeah, I.
0: Uh,
1: it, it's it's imp- it, it it would be impressive if it wasn't so sad.
0: Who is the best yeah. pitcher? That, that that is pitched for the angels in the last 20 years like john lackey CJ Wils- Wilson
2: J- yeah Jared Weaver
0: alright we're doing um, uh, hold on a I second I mean one. besides Rotani right yeah obviously. yeah like yeah of course that's
1: alright we're going to go to leaders great Fangraphs leaderboard radio here since you want since 2000 what what's our early cutoff here
0: oh uh, let's go with 2010
1: since 2010, oh, this list is gonna be bad. Uh, let's do <laughs> just like the Angels. <laughs> okay, it's a uh, fan is dying on me. We want pitchers. Shockingly, Mike Trout is the greatest hitter in baseball. Buster posing second in WAR since 2010. Still, that's interesting. <laughs> I wouldn't have expected that. Um, all right, Angels. And let's split seasons. The top is Jarrett Weaver on... Yes, sir. Oh, we missed one. We missed a very obvious one. I feel like, Thomas, you could pull this if you thought for like another 10 an seconds. Angel's,
2: an Angels pitcher.
1: Yes. It feels like a you, dude, for some reason.
2: A lefty or a righty?
1: Righty. Mm. Uh, you might, he might, people might not associate him with the Angels, actually. All right, who is it? Dan Heron.
2: Oh, oh, he was cool. I think He's of cool. him as an athletic, though. Yes, athletic. Yeah. Athletic?
1: I think of him as a diamondback.
2: I think of him as in Oakland. That's the picture I have in my head of Dan Heron for some reason.
1: Dude, he was a cardinal, athletic, diamondback, angel, D- uh, national, Dodger, and then two teams. I don't care. But Dan Heron has the best individual pitching season per Fangraphs War, 2011, followed by Jared Weaver in 2010, 2022, Shohei Atani, 2011, Jared Weaver.
2: 2014, Garrett Richards? Garrett Richards might have been
1: really good if his yeah. elbow wasn't made out of tissue paper.
2: I think that like in 2015, he like got hurt immediately, yep. if I remember correctly. like And yep. he was just done, and that was yep. kind of it. Uh,
1: nope, nope. Actually, we are wrong. His 2015 was not as good as 2014, but he did post 2.8 F4, and that's the ninth best Angels pitching season um, mm. since 2010. CJ Wilson kicking around here. See, I liked CJ Wilson way back when. Uh, a couple of Irvin Santana seasons.
0: Oh, Irvin Santana. I remember. Ooh, that's
2: a good shout. Um,
1: but yeah, the top and that one Andrew Heaney 2018 year. But the top 10 is Heron, Weaver, Otani, Weaver, Richards, Weaver, Heaney, Wilson, Richards, Wilson. And then two Santana seasons. To love
2: but him. even then, like. This is eh. bad. This is really <laughs> bad. <laughs> like those guys are fine. And then everyone else sucked
0: behind them. So who cared? You know? Yep. The uh, that's the Angels in a nutshell. One or two good guys. And I, I, I want to it. do
1: one more leaderboard uh, radio thing here because I'm curious. How high okay. do we think? What is the best the? Or, or, I'm not going to do split season because that's going to take us forever. Um, where does the Angels offense rank overall league wide since 2010? Do you think by Let's say weighted runs created plus, while rostering Mike Trout and Shohei Ohtani consistently.
0: Thirteenth. I'm gonna say oh. s- seven. Either seven or seventeen. Dude, seven
1: or seven. That's a wide range. <laughs> yes, I know. Uh, actually, either
0: first or thirtieth. That's it. I'm gonna. Mm, how? You're almost right. They're going to say overall by weighted oh, runs plus. Oh yeah, Creative I was plus. gonna say I was gonna say seven because. Yeah wow
1: oh my god they're eighth by way to runs created plus and 14th by war and this is while rostering mike trout and shohei otani as a fucking cheat code just tragic it uh, i'm sorry angels
0: fans <laughs> yeah um, i mean there's there are worse teams definitely i mean at least they have otani and trout but yeah oof
2: yeah, but there's something real depressing about having those two guys and just going, like, 79 and 80-whatever. I mean, <laughs> what's know?
1: worse? What's worse being that or being, like, the White Sox, where you basically go 79 and whatever every year, but you don't have stars to make it entertaining? I don't actually know the answer to that.
2: I, I, I It depends on the person, probably. Because, like, man, I'd be so depressed watching them do their thing. Like oh, Otani hits another 470-foot opposite field home run as they lose 6-3. And I'm like, oh.
1: tungsten arm at it again. Exactly. (laughs)
2: I'm like, oh, man. (laughs) I mean, it's the same thing when Alvarez does his, hits two home runs in a game, and then they lose. And I'm like, oh, come on. Yeah. (laughs) Like, what? It's kind of, it's sullied
0: a little bit. Definitely. We definitely can understand wanting the marquee people to like, you know, we want better for them. Be it Francisco Alvarez, be it David Wright, whoever we, we, we get that completely as Mets fans. Yep. All right. Moving on now. The Syracuse Mets played a series against the Buffalo Bisons this week, Toronto's triple A team, and they won the series. They took four to six games, so that puts them at 28 and 40 on the season, which is 17 games behind the first-place Norfolk Tides in International League East. They played the Durham Bulls next. They played Durham back in April and they lost five or six. So hopefully things up end up a little uh, different this time. The Binghamton Rumble Ponies. They played the Portland Sea Dogs and they split the series with them, uh, going three and three. That leaves the Rumble Ponies at an even thirty-one and thirty-one, which is good for fourth place in the Eastern League Northeast, and is eight games behind the Somerset Patriots. They take on the Akron Rubber Ducks this upcoming week. Uh, Akron is just barely over five hundred; they are thirty-two and thirty, so maybe the Rumble Ponies make up some ground this week. The Brooklyn Cyclones they played the Aberdeen Ironbirds, Baltimore's high affiliate. And they split the series three and three. So that leaves Brooklyn at 27 and 35 on the year, which is nine and a half games behind the Hudson Valley Renegades. Brooklyn is going to be playing the Renegades this upcoming week, so maybe they make up some ground. Um, They took four of six games from the Renegades the last time they played, so you never know. St. Lucie Mets. They played the Palm Beach Cardinals and they won four of six. And that leaves them at 23 and 39 on the year, which is 12 and a half games behind those same Palm Beach Cardinals. They are playing the Jupiter Hammerheads this upcoming week. They've played Jupiter twice so far. This is going to be the third series that the two teams play. And St. Lucie is 5 and 7 against them so far. And last but not least, the FCL Mets. And they went 3 and 2 this week. So that leaves them at 6 and 4 on the season so far. Um, MLB.com had a mock draft earlier this week. And with the 32nd overall pick, they had the Mets selecting Brock Wilkin, a third baseman from Wake Forest University.
1: That's a yuck for me, dog. (laughs) Uh, Wilkin, he's a career
0: 303, 421, 685 hitter over three years at Wake Forest. This past year, he hit 357, 517, 835 with 30 home runs, which is most in the ACC and tied for second in all college baseball. Uh, he also played two seasons in the Cape between his freshman and sophomore and then sophomore and junior seasons. And there with a wood bat, he had a cumulative 269, 402, 471 batting line. Um, obviously, he's a big bopper. Um, doesn't really strike out crazy much. 158 strikeouts at 661 at bats, 24%. Not, you know, it's a little high, but not like comically high. Um, he does walk a decent amount, 18% for his career. Um, this season, he 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 walked more than he struck out, which is always uh, aesthetically pleasing. Defensively, he's a strong arm, uh, good enough at third base. He's agile enough right now to be an adequate third baseman. But you know he's uh, six foot four, two hundred twenty five pounds. So in the future, presumably when he loses some of that agility, the only real position he's going to have is first base. But at least you know the bat does theoretically profile well there. Um, longtime listeners of the podcast might recall another third baseman slash first baseman from Wake Forest who was connected uh, to the Mets for a time in some mock drafts that we were equally uh yeah about oh will. i remember this yep will craig the infamous will craig who who is retired uh he's currently actually a coach i think is at, he really started. i did not yeah. know he retired. yeah i he didn't to,
1: Didn't he go to japan and also tried pitching i thought or I don't yeah know.
0: both both correct i think it was korea not japan i don't oh, know okay. if he did. he might have done both though i don't know but also um,
1: part of literally the single worst defensive play in Major League history. Pirates legend, Will Craig. Yes. For those who yeah. do not remember, he is the, he was the first baseman holding the ball on that wild-ass play where somehow he didn't just step on first and retire Javi Baez.
0: <laughs>
1: just just unbelievably—I don't want to say stupid because that— Boneheaded, yeah, boneheaded. Like, yeah. What? Well, I, I, I do not.
2: It's, I feel like I f- it's straight up forgetting the rules of the game because hobby Bay is is being a weird little guy on the base paths, and right, you're like, what? Just, what? <laughs>
1: it was like it was like what? You ever you ever like join a softball team or a kickball team with your friends? And there are definitely some people on the team who had to be coerced just so that you could get enough people involved. And then they're on the base pass, and they don't know what the fuck the rules are, what they should be doing, and you're just trying to to, to guide them without being a giant dick about it. That's exactly how I felt watching that play. Like, <laughs> just, uh, what, what are you doing? Just, just step on the back. Ugh.
0: Definitely was overthinking the whole thing, yeah. So, yeah, uh, I mean, I don't know if it's the association with Will Craig, who is pretty much the same power. I guess Craig had a better hit tool, whereas Wilkin has, like, more raw power. But, I don't know, it just leaves a bad taste in my mouth. Not, you know, very, eh, on Wilkin. It's just kind of boring. Yeah. (laughs) Also, I was reading that in uh, um, college baseball this year, they're basically going to, like, shatter the record for most home runs hit in the season. And, you know, is it because, you know, Wilkin, uh, is is his plus power legit and everything like that? Or is he just kind of like... A beneficiary. Right. Is he just kind of, are those numbers inflated? No, those 30 home runs inflated because everyone is fucking hitting the ball out of the yard.
2: I mean, it's the same argument about AAA now. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Mm -hmm. So... I, I would not say a thumbs up or a thumbs down for him if if the Mets picked him. I would guess like a medium, you know, thumb in the middle. Yeah, and, I'd be kind of mad on it. There
1: are, and I'm not just saying this because this is the guy who I wound up, t- who I'm going to wind up talking about, but there are better players of this general profile analytically that should be available at 32. Yeah. I do not understand why Wilkin would be
0: the choice. The guy? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, Baseball America also had a mock draft that came out either earlier this year or possibly last week. But we didn't discuss it last week, so we'll do it now. It's version 3.0 of their draft. And they had the Mets uh, picking a high school shortstop out of Monsignor Bonner High School in Drexel Hill, Pennsylvania. Kevin McGonagall. He appeared in 25 games this past season, and he hit 530, 690, 1045, with eight doubles, four triples, six home runs, 15 stolen bases. This is a good one. I like this stat. He had a 32 to two walk to strikeout ratio. He's imagine,
2: cool. imagine being struck. The the two dudes who struck him out.
0: I know that's like hell yeah. <laughs>
1: High school baseball stats are just absurd.
0: Yep. I, I, I don't have... I closed the window, unfortunately. But, like, his max prep um, page, I believe that he has fewer than 10 strikeouts in the three years that he played varsity baseball. I think that he struck out, like, two times last year as well and, like, five times in his sophomore year. But does not strike out a lot. Um, the hit tool projects to be above average. Um, You know, he's an aggressive hitter, but he doesn't do stupid things. You know, he doesn't expand the zone. He doesn't uh, swing at things that clearly are not hittable. He makes good contact. And because he makes good contact, he makes loud contact. Um, His defense, unfortunately, doesn't get as glowingly reviewed. Uh, His arm and range, they're just kind of adequate shortstop, so most likely he's a
1: second baseman. Yeah, most likely
0: he's going to be a second baseman. Well, you know, it's not a death sentence especially as a player, but as as a prospect, you know, uh, takes a lot of luster off you. Um
2: I mean, if he was a shortstop, he wouldn't be in this conversation at the back. Yeah. End, so yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just one of those if you um,
1: here. Ben Badler over at uh, Baseball America is fucking has been fucking gaga about McGonagall forever. Um like, literally since they did their two-year look ahead, I think. So mm-hmm. he's been going on
2: about this dude for a while. Mm. I mean, if you hit like that, with a hit tool like that. Yeah. If, I know it's high school, and he's way better than all those kids that he's playing. But still, yeah, that's the he thing. still that's, has to do it.
0: That's one of my concerns is, you know, for your hit tool to be your carrying tool as a minor leaguer, it's kind of eh, risky. And especially as a high school hitter, it's risky. You know, the, the list of non-elite, like, you know, non-first-ten-picks-or-so-whatever high school hitters that were said to be good hitters and they just never figured it out is pretty long. And, you know... Gavin Zucchini, sorry. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> now, I do think McGonigal is better than Zucchini, to be clear. And I think I'm, yes. I'd be generally fine with this. Supposedly, he's shown out at, at like, a certain showcase events like he's dominated against other high-end prospects um in those contexts Uh, to your point though steve i I pretty much align with i am much more willing to take a guy out of college who is maybe hit tool forward with certain caveats there just because we have a better capacity to evaluate the hit tool at that level Mm -hmm. right like it's You can evaluate raw power independent of game action. You can evaluate speed. You can evaluate defense. There are things you can evaluate for hitters independent of the strength of their competition. Um, There are other things, game power and hit tool chief among them, and and approach is is in there as well, that are really dependent on the kind of pitchers you're, you're facing. And for a high schooler with a lot of variable competition or just you're so much better than a lot of these dudes. It just doesn't matter. Like, it, it's difficult. Um, I, I'd be a little. I don't know that the, he's the prep shortstop. I'd take, but again, I, I don't hate this. It'd be okay.
0: I'd be fine with it. Yeah. The two concerns I have is that the hit tool, and the the. I guess this concerns me more is that he grew up a Phillies fan and <laughs> no, fires. Nope, we're out. Even worse. His favorite player is Chase Utley. So that's I'm pretty problematic. I'm so out. We're so yeah. out. Yeah. We're done here. But on the flip side, we have McGarnigal memes.
2: Oh, man. I would use those so much.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> How old is Dame Maggie Smith? She's in her 90s now, right? Oh. The lady who played Professor McGarnigal. Oh, I don't know about that. I was thinking
0: McGarnigal, like... Simpsons. Simpsons.
2: Uh,
1: uh, we're, we're 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 mixing our
0: references here.
2: <laughs> because I know who you're that's talking. How, about. That's how unique the, the the name memes could get.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. You could yeah, hit so two, many audiences. So yeah, two fan bases.
1: <laughs> Three if we roll into Down Nabby fans from uh, for Maggie <laughs> Smith as well. We're just we're crossing all the streams here.
0: <laughs> all right. Well, maybe maybe uh, we need the viewers. So maybe uh-huh. the Mets really do need to draft Yeah, Forget the performance on the field. We need the clicks. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, same thing. I, I wouldn't give this a thumbs down. I wouldn't give it a thumbs up. It would just be a thumb in the middle. I would be more thumbs up than Wilkin, I
2: think.
1: Certainly. Agreed.
2: I would be more excited about it. Um, of course, the him having to move off. I, I think, like... When you're picking this late, and I'm sure we'll get into it when we talk about our mock drafts, but there's going to be flaws with these guys in the back end of the first that, Mm -hmm. like, whatever of his season this year, Jet Williams would not be around in the back end of the first round. You know? Like, because he was like a high school shortstop who could probably stay there for a decent amount of time and is athletic and da-da-da, like, if he couldn't play shortstop, then he would have been available at 32. But you know what I mean, mm-hmm. like
0: maybe not even because if he couldn't play shortstop, he still has the physical ability to, to, to do center field. Which exactly. Is a premium. Right.
2: So like you're kind of you're kind of like taking what you have to, and that, I'm going to talk about one of the guys that I did because I did two specific ones, two mocks, where we could get into it then because it'll go it'll it'll circle back to this conversation. Mm-hmm.
1: You raise a good point though. Like I all of this is caveated with we, for better or worse, do not have like extensive front office sources. And the fact that Jet Williams had absurd exit velocity numbers for a dude of his age did not really come out to us until later on in the process. Mm-hmm. I haven't I haven't seen any of that about McGonagall. Uh, well I will back up. That to me is a much better measurement of hit tool than the either standard scouting aphorisms or his line which is essentially meaningless right so if in 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 a month time if a month in a month time we we start hearing these whispers about oh kevin mcconical has really great exit velo data and really great contact data i'll be like i'm all the way in but without that i'm i'm right caveat supply
2: and also it's it's a northeast uh Prep yeah, prospects yeah, yeah. and mm-hmm. that's a whole different ball game in and of itself because mm-hmm. those guys play less and the competition's typically worse. And it was the same thing when the Mets drafted clinic It was it was he was from like Wisconsin. He's from like Wisconsin or something, right? So mm-hmm. like yeah, that was a whole thing for him. And he made the majors, so it ended up being whatever. But Nemo as well. That was, and, that was a that's a that's a ding against him too. And it's not really his fault. Like he he it's not he can't control where he was born or who he plays against, but it's still a a knock against him, you know? Like, Mike Mm -hmm. Trout was a Jersey guy and was a late first-round pick because nobody went to go see him, (laughs) which it's different
0: nowadays.
2: (laughs) Like, could you imagine now? But, like, that's different now, but still that's the type of thing we're talking about, you know?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely agree with the point that if we had access to – some of the, you know, StatCast information about exit velocities or launch angles, blah, 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 whatever, that, I mean, just in in my personal experience, you know, doing, like, our prospect um, lists and everything like that, I feel like that stuff definitely has colored my perception of players. So, you know, the same thing, I, I would assume that if we had access to some of this stuff, it would also color my perception when it comes to, you know, draft Draftable players as well. And that could be something that would, you know, raise my finger, my thumb from a eh to a hmm.
1: Precise measurement scale here.
0: Yes, very precise. <laughs> All right. So second half of the show now. Um we're going to basically what was it, last week, whatever? Lucas informed us that Prospect Live, the, the website, they have a mock draft app program, whatever you want to call it, on their website, where basically it lets you mock a draft with the you know players available in the 2023 draft. Uh, I don't know what went into it. I don't know how the AI, you know, because you can, you can do it yourself. Or you can just basically, not randomize it, but you could have the, the website do it for you for each pick. So I don't know what was put into that in terms of, you know, why the, the computer picks one player over another, whatever. But it's a pretty fun tool. Um, anyone that's interested in, in, you know, the draft and everything, if you want to check it out, you know, it's it's right on their main page I think you know it's like right on the top banner whatever kind of annoying to use um but once you figure it out you know then it makes sense but basically we all did um our own mock drafts um Mets pick 32 so obviously there are 31 picks before um who wants to go first um talk about you know who who it had you draft for the Mets um guys that were still available, you know, guys that got picked way too early that you think whatever. I'll go first. All right, go ahead. All right, I'll run
1: through the picks. I'll, I have some brief comments on a couple of them, but not all of them. I won't make this last an hour. Um, first overall to the Pirates, Dylan Cruz. Yep. Second overall to the Nationals, Paul Skeens. They should take Langford, but they're going to take Skeens. It's fine. Third overall to the Tigers, Langford. Yep. Uh, fourth overall to the Rangers, Max Clark. Fine. Fifth overall to the Twins, Rhett Lauder. That's an overdraft, but Twins are a fun pitching organization, so it could be fun. Um, sixth to the Athletics, Enrique Bradfield. Very A's because it's a fucking terrible pick. Um, <laughs> seventh overall to the Red, and, and, and I, I don't need to expand on that. I do not like Enrique Bradfield as a prospect. Um, seventh overall to the Reds, Chase Dolander. Again, I think this is an overdraft, especially with names on the board, but Also, that's a really fun fit, I think. The Reds could do a lot with Dolander. This is also not how the top of the draft is going to go. The top of the draft is pretty set, I think. Um, Eight to the Royals, Arjun Namala. Nine to the Rockies, Braden Taylor. That's right, Rockies. Uh, Ten to the Marlins, Walker Jenkins, which is a humongous deal and is never going to happen. He's like, he's going to go fourth. Uh, Eleven to the Angels, Jacob Gonzalez. Kyle Teal to the Diamondbacks. Uh, Hurston Waldrop to the Cubs Bryce Eldridge to the Red Sox uh, Chase Davis to the White Sox is a fun one Some analytically inclined team's going to grab him It's going to be nice Tommy Troy to the Giants at 16 uh, Jacob Wilson to the Orioles I'll be shocked if he goes that low And also shocked if a smart team like the Orioles Actually takes him because he's not actually good um, George Lombard Jr. to the Brewers Travis Honeyman Maybe the best first round name
0: I think honey 80 grade, honey
1: honeyman. yes he is not a good player the rays will not take this dude but 80 grade <laughs> name uh bryce matthews to the blue jays blake mitchell to the cardinals adian Miller to the mariners thomas white falls down the board here to the guardians That's a fantastic fit um and then even more frustrating noble Meyer, the best prep arm in the draft goes to the braves at 24 because a fucking course get ready to suffer through that for a decade um <laughs> Colt Emerson to the Padres, Walker Martin to the Yankees, Charlie Soto to the Phillies, Matt Shaw to the Astros, Nolan Chanel to the Mariners. I really like that pick. Um, Rafael Velasquez to the Mariners. Yohandy Morales goes to the Rays at 31. I will eat my hat if the Rays take Yohandy Morales. Uh, that is, They will never do that. All right. Finally, we're at the Mets at number 32. The Mets selected LeJames Grover. Uh, all better known as Gino Grover. Uh, is it Groover? Grover? Whatever. It's a good thing he's not a pitcher with the name last name Grover. That would be bad. Yes. Um, he's an infielder out of NC State. He's played third base this year. He's not a third baseman. He has a right-right first baseman, so... Uh, some risks here certainly um he had 332 430, 546 this year only struck out 26 uh times in 277 plate appearances the seven percent strikeout rate i believe 36 walks 13 homers he has if not the best I, I would go so far to say as he has the best combination of in-zone contact and exit velocity in the draft. He does not miss when he swings in the zone, and he hits the ball really, really fucking hard. Um, his nine, the old, there are only two players in this draft with the 90th percentile exit velocity of 170 miles an hour or better, a contact rate of 80% or better, and a chase rate of 25% or b- better. It's Wyatt Langford, who is going to go third overall and should go second, and Groover. Um now Langford's an outfielder, Groover's going to be a first baseman only. I don't even think you could put him in the outfield. Um he also probably hits the ball on the ground way too much. I don't have data to back that up, but when you're hitting the ball this hard and you only hit 13 home runs, um that's probably what's happening and Lord knows the Mets don't need more of yeah. that problem. <laughs> um but let's suppose they are able to actually start correcting these issues. This is—and you, you could wind up with just a huge steal here, right? This is—he he, chases—his chase rate is not elite. Um, but if you're looking for—if you wanted to bet on one of these corner profiles, this is arguably the strongest one to bet on in this range of the draft. Um, I'll also admit that I— was just kind of autopiloting when I was simming this. Cause I didn't think I'd take my first duration. I did not make this pick. I don't think this is the pick I would have made. I would have probably taken Ledbetter who wound up going at 38 to the Reds, which is another fantastic pick. Um, Colin hook was also on the board. He was the top rated guy that was left in my draft for both baseball America and prospects live. I don't think I would have taken him either. Um, I, I mean, I thought I thought I was going to have to iterate through this a couple times to get someone I liked or something that was interesting to talk about. But if if the Mets wound up with Groover here, that would be a really fascinating guy. I don't know that it's necessarily the best. I don't know enough about swing change dynamics or, or hitter mechanics to have an informed opinion on how easy a change this is to get him to elevate the ball more. Um that's unfortunately outside my area of expertise. But if you could get this guy in your system and had a plan of attack to correct that, he's he's a dude who would just rock it up boards, kind of like uh, Zach DiCenzo for the Astros or something like that is doing right now. Like This would be a, a really fascinating guy to have.
0: The profile is nice. The fact that it's basically first base only is kind of a little sad.
2: Yes, yeah, that that's is probably – yeah, yeah. That's the worst part.
1: That's probably why I would have gone with Ledbetter. Um, McGonagall round up going at 39 to the A's. I might have considered him. Um, Rock Kalowski, who has been connected to the Mets a lot, was also on the board. He went 35 to the Marlins because I simmed it a little further. I, also, I went out to 40 just because it's a nice round number, and the Nationals took Mitch Jeb. Uh, in my notes column, I've only written Jeb. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Please, Clef. I I've no idea and do anything about this player except yes, please clap. Jep. Um Jep. Yes. Uh so yeah, I don't I don't I again I don't know that this is the best pick. I don't know that this is the optimal pick. Drafting right, right first baseman is not always a great idea. Um but it would certainly be very interesting and I would like it more than I feel like I always do this when Ken's not here. I start ragging on Johandy Morales. <laughs> like, if the choice was between Groover and Johanny Morales, I am taking Groover 10 times out of 10 and not thinking about it twice. Like, this is the dude I would,
0: I would grab. If you could combine the two. I
1: don't, what, what, is, what does Morales do better than Groover right now?
2: Probably Maybe, play third base at a credible level. Do yeah, you think
1: better. Morales can actually play third base?
2: Be more
0: than uh, Gruber can. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> I don't think he plays it well enough for it to matter, though. Sure, <laughs> he might lift the ball a little better.
0: Yeah, I, uh, just he has that the profile of hitting more home runs. I mean, yeah. they both have you know good. I'm I'm sure they both have very. Uh, High exit velo numbers. Don't know what Morales' are, but obviously, you know, you don't hit 20 home runs whatever he hit. Well, I can tell you
1: what Morales' is, is in just a moment. I'm pulling all of these numbers from uh, a really great Baseball America article. If you're a subscriber, you should go read this. Johandy actually hits the ball very slightly harder in his 90% exit velocity. He also makes almost 10% less contact in the zone and chases uh, 5% more outside
0: of it. All right. So if you can combine those two, then give him that's that's a pretty pretty
1: higher. Yeah. I mean, his his exit velocity is only like it's half a mile higher. A ninetieth percentile. Like it's that's quibbling, but he has a lot. He's a lot worse at the contact aspects, which Mm -hmm. is comes up in his strikeout rate. Yep. Yep.
0: Well, I wouldn't. Like I said, just. The right-handed first baseman, with you know, you don't really have any alternatives there. That kind of, is eh, but that aside, I mean, the offensive profile is that sounds sweet.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, but, there's there's potential. You get like Mark Vientos here, except he probably is better at making contact in the zone than Mark Vientos is. Um, I I don't I don't know that it would be the pick I would make. Uh, right. Certainly, but if so. uh, if this was the profile they take i would i would be i'd be like i mean last year last year i think we were pretty uniformly ecstatic with their picks maybe not thomas cuz he did not like jet
2: <laughs> i understood it more after but in the <clears throat> beginning i didn't get it he was one right. of those um, like kind of looking at it to scout heavy type thing right. Right, right.
1: Which is not, I mean, I think your points are valid, but my, my point is, like, I would not be as ecstatic about Groover as I was about landing Parada and Jet, but I'd be pretty happy.
0: Yeah, yeah. Don't yep. disagree. All right, um, Tommy, since you did two, do you want to do one of yours, then I'll go, then you go, finish up?
2: Honestly, I, I, I only did two, like, it's a quick explanation why I did two um because the first one had me getting uh tommy troy at 32 which is not going to happen so <laughs> i just kind of i kind of did it just because so what happened was i sure i'm sure everyone who has is on this podcast has done a fantasy draft before and like you see a guy who's not supposed to be there i started getting nervous like clicking simulate like uh-huh. i was like Ooh, i could get tommy like it's real but and then he fell and i took him and if that happens they should teleport, invent teleportation and teleport to the podium to take him at 32. He's going in the teens. He's too good to get there at 32, but that's just
1: No, I wouldn't be surprised if he goes in the back of the top 10.
2: I know. like his I just, I just think the
1: data is supposedly yeah. insane.
2: Like, it, it, even if he's just, even if he's a second baseman, I don't give a shit. He, it's incredible. Like, <laughs> I think he could hit. I think he's just a good hitter. I think he'll be one of those, like, naturally gifted hitter type guys. So that's not happening. So I kind of just let that one go. Do you and have then I did cognitive
1: dissonance with him being such a good hitter and also from Stanford? Uh,
2: the thing is, I don't know, because you look at it and he doesn't have the problems that he the Stanford He doesn't have
0: guys. the Stanford swing, yeah. Yeah, he I, mean, I, I want to say that they I changed. Who was the coach? Jim Marquez was the coach, I believe. Fuck if I know. Oh, I, I want to say Jim Marquez, and he retired a couple of years ago, so. Okay. They're kind of moving away I, I from don't, it, yeah. I don't know if that is still a thing, as it was in, like, the the late 2000s and early 2010s. They all just had that awful ping-bat opposite field
2: swing. He's not going Quinn Brody mode, no. Um, Don't remind me that that I liked Quinn Brody.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Noted pitcher now. Noted (laughs) relief pitcher, Quinn Brody.
1: (laughs) Just like I predicted when he was drafted in... 2016.
0: All right, anyway continue so i, I was like this Matt
2: one Winaker, i guess like this one is fun but i'm just gonna kind of ignore it because it's not obviously it's for, for the sake of realism it's kind of nonsense so i'm not gonna bother um so then i did another one and it went the opposite way everyone Uh-oh. was off the board like even i uh, colton ledbetter was off the board yohandy morales was off the board Rock Chowalski was off the board before I picked. Like it was one of those where it's as it's going, you're like, oh man, like everyone I'm I'm kind of interested is in is kind of going. So I was like, what the hell do I do? But Bryce Matthews fell, and so he's a very interesting case for me because Matthews is it's he's in his third year at Nebraska, and he wasn't really good until this year. Like his first year, he hit two seventy three, three eighty one. 462 his second year he hit 261 379 446 which is obviously that's not what you want but this year he has really torn the cover off the ball he's hit 359 481 723 and when i was reading his prospect lives blurbs it's like he has the he has data like his his batted ball data is really interesting and it's stuff that people will get really excited about and so when that fell to me in where everyone else was going and how the board kind of fell already where the guys I was interested in, like I, I would have taken Ledbetter, but he went two picks before me. I would have taken Chowalski, but he went one pick before me. So I, d- I had to pivot at the last moment and reading about his batted ball data and his uptick in his, he's said he's making more contact. The strikeouts are still an issue, striking out 53 times in 54 games, but he's walking a lot, 47 walks in uh, 53 games. He's the first 2020 guy in program history in that stolen base threat, is very nice. He plays the middle infield, so even if he's not a guy who starts because he has some swing and miss in his game, if you get a utility infielder with speed off the bench and has pop like that at 32, I'm happy. Especially if he has interesting batted ball data, because if you could get him to make more contact in a professional setting with professional coaches, then the sky's the limit. Especially with someone who is ascending in his development. He's he, he hasn't taken really steps back. He's taken steps forward at Nebraska. So that combination of things at thirty two I I hit I took that I took him and that was the end of it. You know?
0: Uh-huh. sounds like college Ronnie Mauricio.
2: Honestly, like a little I think it's a little less swing and miss than that. Like the, yeah. the swing decisions aren't as bad. But Like the the ball is obviously it's a ping bat, but it's been jumping off his bat this year. And going twenty twenty in fifty-three games is impressive no matter how many no matter Mm. what type of league it is.
1: That's that's an interesting name, certainly. Yeah. Not someone I'd considered at all, actually. He was totally off my radar.
2: He's interesting in the back end of this stuff because I feel like as we do combine things and we're getting closer and closer to the draft, he's a guy whose name's gonna be popped up around where the Mets are picking. Because mm-hmm. he's not gonna go higher, like it's just mm-hmm. not where it's gonna be, but as as the really good guys start to settle and the teens start to settle, we're gonna have to start looking at other people, you know mm-hmm. and t- thinking about different names.
0: I would not be annoyed if if he was elected. Yeah, uh, I think most of the most of the
2: guys here. I would not be annoyed, uh, annoyed like like Bryce El- Elridge was on the board for one of them, and I'd take him. That's a like, fun
0: one. I, w- I would also not be annoyed if, if you know the Mets took Tommy Troy as well. To go back to your other draft,
1: <laughs> I will I will, presuming I'm sitting here watching the draft and not stuck in the office doing whatever bullshit, which is a distinct possibility. I will run out of the building and do a lap around the block if the Mets oh my God. To take Tommy Troy at 32.
0: I mean, it's, the, that situation is a little more outlandish, but literally the last two drafts, guys that we thought were not going to be available dropped, not precipitously, but like 10-ish picks or so. But oh, Tommy, Troy sure. would, Tommy Troy would Tommy Troy have to drop a lot more than 10 to be uh, available when the Mets pick. So, And also there were reasons. yeah like players dropping
2: (laughs) and i mean if tommy troy's dropping a 32 i'm like is his acl attached to his knee like
0: (laughs) yeah i
2: like don't care i
0: don't think
2: Uh, i think i would take him anyway if he was hurt like unless it's like serious serious i would think i would take him anyway and just eat the eat the injury
0: i don't know haven't we learned our lesson acl i have enough like,
1: acl i'm taking if it's a shoulder i'm pausing if it if it's a labor labor issue, i'm take i'm pausing but acl do not care we yeah
2: we can rebuild him yeah the 10 million dollar just,
1: just <laughs> from the biomechanical side of things like labrums are fucking both your shoulder and hip are fucking horrifically designed joints And uh, we do not know how to consistently rehab them in any context, so.
2: Just ask Jeff McNeil. He figured it out. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, that's true. (laughs) It only took two years. (laughs) No, my hip still hurts. (laughs) Hey, I've had
1: both the labrum and the ACL, and the ACL uh, feels better than the hip consistently. So, uh, yeah, give me the ACL, dude.
0: All right, uh, the pick that I did, I don't, I, I closed the window, obviously, so I can't give you a breakdown of who was taken before, who was taken after, like, Lucas was able to. I just wrote down who my guy was, and I looked him up, because he was someone that was not on my radar at all. I did not know anything about him until I drafted him in this, and that is a right-handed pitcher from Round Rock High School in Renrock, Texas, Travis Socorro. Ooh. Yeah, that'd be fun. He, He's 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 a he definitely seems like a really fun pitcher. He's a big boy, six foot six, two hundred thirty pounds. Throws from a low three quarters, almost sidearm angle. So he has like a low approach angle, some uh, arm side run naturally for his pitchers. He has a big Nolan Ryan esque leg kick, and he has a, a Nolan Ryan esque fastball. Uh, sits in the mid to high nineties, like 94, 95. Regularly tops out in in the high nineties clocked as high as a 101 in the area code games. And when I first saw that, you know, he regularly is topping out in the high 90s, I had some concerns because it immediately made me think of Simeon Woods Richardson and all the reports in 2018 that, you know, he was hitting the high 90s, when in reality he, he sat in the low to mid 90s and touched like the mid 90s. Um, but the reports of Akora are at least more more verifiable, more reputable, because, you know, they're from specific showcases, whereas the information, uh, you know, about Woods Richardson hitting that high were never verifiable. I could never find, like, where, what what specific events he was hitting in the mid-'90s, and lo and behold, uh, I couldn't because he, Source, he wasn't. Source, trust us, bro. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, but he complements the fastball with a slider and a split changeup uh, they both sit in the mid 80s. You know, the slider has some extra horizontal movement, and the changeup has some some extra vertical drop. Uh, they tunnel well with his fastball, and he hides all his pitches well. Um, you know, it's hard for the batters to pick up on between the arm angle and the big leg kick and everything. Command can come and go. Uh, he was a lot better though in that regard this past season, as compared to the fall 22 exhibition games or just the 2022 season. Uh, in general. And it's been a while. Since the last time the Mets. Drafted a prep right-handed pitcher. With their first round pick. You got to go all the way back to Michael Fulmer. In 2011. And he was a supplemental pick. Along with Nimmo. So he wasn't even just the first. You know like their only first round pick. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to. Their, their, if you want to go to their. The, the year where they had only a single pick. And they selected a prep pitcher. you got to go back to 2002. Scott Casimir.
1: Is <sighs> there Zambrano
0: still around? Yeah. Uh, and if you want to say, okay, well, is a left-hander, so that's a special category. If you want to look at prep right-handers, you got to go all the way back to 1993. When was the last time the Mets had one pick in the first round that they picked a, a prep right-hander? Kirk Presley, who was selected eighth overall in 1993. Oops. Yeah, Yeah. uh, I don't know. But, um, has a commitment to the University of Texas. If he does go, he'll be draft eligible eligible as a sophomore in 2025 because he's 19 now. So I don't know if the Mets could actually sign him with a 32 pick. You know, that's a really good point. I mean, they're uh, going uh, in their favor is, you know, the Mets are known as a good pitching Organization Are they? Are they? I mean, historically speaking, <laughs> when you think of Mets, you think of pitchers.
1: Yes, but, yes. David Peterson is a glowing <laughs> example of their pitching development success.
0: But, you know, the Mets have that reputation, so maybe that helps. But on the other hand, you know, going to college for a year or two at the University of Texas, you know, he, he already has a plus fastball and like OK secondaries. You know, he could potentially turn himself into like a top kind of pick with, you know, a a little bit of seasoning on his slider and uh, split change. So I don't know. I will admit this is
1: not a profile I usually go for. These like I throw really hard with questionable command and limited field for spin prep arms, especially when they're older. But I love split changes, so I'd be okay. (laughs) I, I just love the split change as a pitch. I'm still incredibly salty that the Mets did not bring in Kevin Gaussman when they had a chance to, because he's one of the, like one of my most uh one of the he might be the pitcher I find most aesthetically enjoyable to watch most of the time. I love split changes, so I, I'd be okay with them giving a roll here, giving this a roll uh, at least from my for, for pure
2: enjoyment. I also love the hard thrower with like the. Mid 80s breaking stuff because mm-hmm. you get some mm-hmm. real funny, real funny strikeouts <laughs> from those guys. And it's always like a fun, fun factor type thing.
0: I mean, I'm trying to think, like, what was the last player that the Mets pit drafted who was just like has like blow them away kind of stuff? Like Bryce Montes I guess, kind I of. Guess. Yeah. Uh,
1: I mean, I think the actual answer is uh, Matthew
0: Allen and Bomb Bomb. He didn't. I mean his, uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't. Uh, he didn't have like the, the fa- I think he I have the fastest I ever clocked him was like ninety five, ninety six. Like his fastball no, right. seemed like it had the the spin and everything was destroying pitches. I'm talking about just pure horse cyber, you know Okay. All right. All right. All right. Like I don't know. I can't think of. I guess it would have to be Bryce Montestoka. And it took us like three years to <laughs> finally see that after him getting drafted. So uh,
1: I did, because you mentioned Michael Fulmer in here, I've come up with a depressing nugget that I had forgotten about. Mm. you all remember the two players drafted immediately after Michael Fulmer?
2: Mm, I'm going to be sad, but no, I don't remember.
1: Trevor Story mm. and Joe Musgrove.
2: Man, huh. Story would have been real nice.
1: Joe Musgrove would have been real nice.
2: Yeah, One I don't the know. Vets they have might have, have maximized him.
1: Up, him to but be honest, yeah. yeah, They would have turned him into Mike Pelfrey.
0: <laughs> Hell yeah. With or without the uh, who the slider. fuck knows? <laughs> <laughs> well, if it wasn't for Michael Fulmer, that we would never would have gotten UN Cespedes. But could you imagine story on the t-
2: playing shortstop on the 2015
0: team? We might not need Cespedes was story up at that
2: point let me put po- he had to have been right i,
0: I feel uh, like no he did year. not
1: debut until 2016
2: oh then they would have traded his ass yeah
1: <laughs> 20 I'm just, all right i don't want to derail us
2: cuz i i know i have a pension for doing this i really thought he came up mid 2015 ish
1: no he came up remember he came up at the start of 2016 and just hit like 17 home runs yes, in his first 3 the first games ass, or something yeah he yeah, yeah, was like was crazy
2: just, crazy good yeah you're great
1: yeah. right. he was not actually all that I mean, he destroyed Double-A in 2015, and then was kind of meh at Triple-A. And I don't recall where he—bear with me again. That would have been BP 2016
2: Top 100 Prospects.
0: I don't remember him being—I don't feel like he ever was like an elite kind of prospect. I think he
2: was like a good, not great prospect, if I remember correctly.
0: Because I remember when he came up, I was just like, oh, this is all— this is all smoke emitters, this isn't gonna last. He's not that great of a prospect, not that great of a player.
1: He was not on the twenty sixteen BP top one oh one, from what I can tell. Um Forest Wall was. Oh mm-hmm. god. So yeah, I don't know. They they very well they probably might have traded to him for something good. I'm pulling up the hell is he?
0: Wow. Nothing good, but for
1: some uh, All right. We got to get Jeff on the phone and ask him what the fuck is with this list. Here's the 2016 top 10 Rockies prospects from baseball perspectives. Also, please do not add Jeff. Jeff is a wonderful human being and he knows a lot more than I do about this. I'm being facetious. Uh, number one, Brendan Rodgers. Number two, Jeff Hoffman. Number three, Ryan McMahon. David Dahl, John Gray, Raymel Tapia, Forrest Wall, Antonio Sensitella, Kyle Freeland, and at number 10, Trevor Story.
0: I just looked up MLB, and they had him at 11, so same thing. What? what? Wow. Good, but not great prospect. We just, everyone whiffed on this. What Those guys heck?
2: are always interesting to me, the good, not great prospect guys. Mm-hmm. Like, even, like, to talk about the Mets, like, DeGrom was like that. Like, mm-hmm. they called up Montero and DeGrom at the same time, and everyone was like, oh, yeah, and this guy. Like, Rafael Montero's finally here, in this guy. <laughs> and DeGrom, a-
1: but DeGrom made, like, noticeable changes at the yeah. major league level. Story just kind of showed up in 2016. It was like, yep, I'm a, an elite power hitter now.
0: <laughs> He's like, oh, yeah, that's with, how you hit the ball, okay. With
2: good shortstop defense.
1: Yeah. Um, it do happens. Know. Maybe made off-season changes there. I was not paying as much attention back then, certainly. But it's interesting, yeah.
0: Well, that's the kind of things that when you invest in player development and, and good coaching or whatever, that's... Uh,
1: that let, let, let's hole up there on co- congratulating <laughs> the Rockies for uh, investing just, in player development or... i uh, just
0: saying conceptually, conceptually. <laughs> <laughs> they are a the drafted
1: things, development organization, as they say.
0: Those are the things that can happen whether or not they do happen that that is a case by case basis. Mm. Yeah, so those are that's our mock draft for this week. I mean, I honestly I don't want to say, you know, beggars can't be choosers, but the Mets are picking at 32, it's a kind of weird place to pick. So anyone who is even mildly intriguing, I think I would be okay with if they have, you know, some sort of interesting wrinkle to them unlike say Gavin Caccini <sighs> or, or David Peterson you know like there's some guys that are just like eh okay for the love of they're, God they're fine not, but it's...
1: do not take a college pitcher in this draft I am <laughs> as, uh, not at the top
2: I am begging you don't please. want to take Tanner Witt at 32 uh Lucas
0: <sighs> <laughs> uh, I'd, I'd
1: be fine not taking a pitcher for literally the first three rounds the pitching this is like simultaneously an incredibly interesting and i think deep draft class and also there's fuck all for pitching
0: yeah it, it, it was high school hitting and high school pitching was considered to be like deep in this draft and college hitting and pitching was like yeah
1: which frankly i'm fine with like my And I think this is borne out by tendencies in Major League Baseball over the past decade. Like the the developmental edges we've developed are mostly on the pitching side. You should be able to come up with pitchers. And you also shouldn't be investing in pitchers generally because they break immediately anyway. Like, I'd rather There's be There's some high. where you're
2: like, all right, yeah, you should draft that guy.
1: Yeah, look, like, I'll, I, I'm ragging on Paul Skeens, and the Nationals really should take Wyatt Lankford at two. But, like, Paul Skeens is really good. Fine. And I actually really like Noble Meyer as a prep arm. But general, just as a general point of principle, like, do not draft David Peterson's or old friend uh, Anthony Kaye in the back of the first round. That's just not... <laughs> good allocation of resources that's
0: why I, I was thinking that i wanted to say anthony k i was like you know what let me just let me just say david peterson we have enough <laughs> anthony k problems on this podcast uh, oh god don't
1: worry steve i got there eventually because i i'm just a hater anthony <laughs> k has appeared in a 2020 what organization is anthony k currently with can any of you tell me
0: mm, not the white Sox. i mean not the blue jays anymore it's not no, the blue jays um arizona he is with the Cubs. Hmm. Oh, all right. I was in the right region, kind of. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Not really.
1: He has thrown. He was mediocre in AAA and has thrown three scoreless innings of relief with three strikeouts and no walks.
0: Oh, that's that's good. Better yes. than if those trends continue.
1: Uh huh. Yeah. He will finish the season with a zero ERA. You heard it here first. <laughs>
0: Well, on that note, if you have any questions, um, you could send us an email at our email address from complextoqueens at gmail dot com, or you could follow us on Twitter and shoot us questions there. I am at Steve Seiper. Lucas is at three four three, Ken is at ken eleven ninety one, and Thomas is at SADMEDSEASONSZN. s z n. Subscribe to the podcast, wherever you get your podcast from, rate and review it. And, of course, we thank you for listening. And we are now Patreon-based, so if you like our podcast, if you like any of the other ones in the Homer and Apple network, you can subscribe for $5 a month, and you'll get extra stuff like bonus episodes and exclusive content. So, we will be back next week. And until then, love the Mets, love the Mets.